I got my percussion back. That's great. It's been a long time. It has. All right, you can you ready? pepper the conversation with them. Um... Literally. Salt it, shake it. Okay. Are you ready for this, Ruth? Yeah. Hi, Ruth. <laughs> She's I, a little bit too excited about the shaker. I just got the shaker back. Well, I mean, not back. It was always like over there, but by the time I start talking, then I'm stuck to my microphone and it's too far away. And you're just sort of looking at the shaker. Yeah, and always like, God, I wish I could have my shaker right now. But it's here. Andrew organised it. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Welcome to my favourite musical. It's a podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's a podcast. That's Ruth. That's Josephine. We are your hosts. And we talk to you about musicals. We talk at you. I I honestly I feel like I'm talking to people. I don't. Okay. And I don't want to. This is episode 46. Indeed. This is the major episode where we we each talk about a favorite musical of ours. You can also listen to us talk about our favorite songs on a theme in a mixtape, which we do every other week. Yeah. Um, what else? You should contact us if you want to chat. Yeah. You can us email on Instagram. us. Yeah, Instagram. There's Twitter. I don't think we do anything there. I certainly no, don't. No, I do not. <laughs> and I'm the one who runs the account, so if I'm not doing it. <laughs> uh, as always, we would really appreciate some reviews. Five stars only, please. Um, yeah, if you're going to give us less than five stars, what are you doing listening to the show? That's so true. Yeah. Although this is like the first couple of seconds, so they maybe made it this time. Yeah, if it's, like, if it's their them. first time. <laughs> now they're like, who are these bitches? <laughs> Why is there percussion? Yeah. Um, Ruth, did you see the new In the Heights trailer? I'm just honestly like this year for movie musicals. Right? I'm so excited. So I saw the new trailer because there's been like there's there's been, been too quite a many. Few. Yeah, 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 yeah. But this there's a, the latest one um, has just dropped and it is magic. Um, I've linked to it in the show notes because I'm so excited. But this particular one just felt even more like. Um, like it got to the the core of the film. Like in the mm. past it's been more just about Usnavi or just about the like living the bayou or whatever. But now it's like this is like Yeah. Yeah, his his struggle and yeah. Yeah. I'm oh I, I just think I'm gonna see it so many times. Hundreds. Um, so there's that. The West Side um, trailer has dropped, yes. dropped during the Oscars. I actually think the new In the Heights trailer dropped during the Oscars as well. Yeah, nice. Um, what did you think? Oh, I'm so excited. Are you? Are you not? I don't know how to feel. Oh, no, I'm really excited. Yeah. What What don't you know how to feel? Um, I just don't know if we needed it is but my I mean, main thing. Let's think about the old film and how much brown face there was and oh, how definitely. it wasn't people really – like, don't get me wrong, that film is beautiful. Yeah. That is a beautiful film. Yeah. But, like, it's problematic. Definitely. As anything made then. <laughs> Who's the guy playing Tony? What's his name? Ansel Elgort. Oh. Yeah, and he's had That's a few – That's why I don't like He's it. had a few issues. Yeah, when I saw his stupid face, I was like, who's that guy? But I think that Rachel Ziegler who's playing um, Maria is going to be fantastic. Yeah, she looked wonderful. And, and obviously um, – Ari- Ariana DeBose thank you, thank you. who's playing <laughs> you read um, my mind. Anita, Anita. Yeah. is going to be amazing. Um, so, yeah, I'm very excited for the cast in general. Even just like in the opening shots of the trailer, that just sort of like 60s New York was yeah. really nicely framed. There's that moment as they sort of walk together in like an alley each other. with the shadows. Yeah, with yeah. the shadows that was really beautiful. Yeah, that was really good. No, I'm I'm really excited for it. I think I think they're going to do a great job. Oh my god, so I didn't realize that the um that the Oscars had been on. Oh really? When well, you said that I'm like, "What?" It was a bit of a nothing year, right? Because it was like it was all it was apparently it was at like a train station. <laughs> like it was Yeah, like, it was at Union Station. Yeah, and it was kind of so it was I guess somewhat open air and you you could kind of go there or you, a lot of people weren't there to accept their awards and and then they sort of had like a London outpost but then they sort of set it all up as if um uh uh Boseman Chadwick Boseman oh, yeah. um, was going to win Best Actor yeah. posthumously and then he didn't Anthony Hopkins won <gasps> for, the right, father, for the father but he wasn't there. So they just accepted it on his behalf and the awards show ended. Like they didn't make Best Picture last. They made Best Actor last. Apparently, according to Nielsen estimates, this ceremony was the least viewed Oscars telecast on record. I think it's kind of been going down anyway, but. 
Um, Frances McDormand won another Academy Award. Yeah, for Nomadland. She's so And good. Chloe Zhao won Best Director and that was a big um. deal because she's the first person of colour, first woman of colour, sorry, to win Best Director. Yeah. And only the second woman ever to win Best Director. Fucking hell. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, after Catherine Bigelow. Yeah. Yes. Um, I was going to say The Father, which Anthony Hopkins won for, I really want to see because I saw. I can't wait. I saw I the saw, play. I saw the play on Broadway. Yeah, I saw it at Sydney Theatre Company. Yeah, and it was an astoundingly good play. It just moved me um, a lot, that play. Yeah. And I love, it's Olivia Coleman, right, with Anthony yes, Hopkins? Yes, Yeah, right. well, what a cast. Yeah. How so could you not? Yeah. Very keen to see that. Um, what else have I got? Oh. I also just want to just briefly mention our local theatre, like musical theatre company put on a production of Songs for a New World yes. recently. Um, Ruth and I saw it. It was just wonderful to see Songs for a New World in the flesh. Yeah. Um, and to see like a, like a local, a small local group tackling a really awesome work. And also just like, like I can't tell you guys, like Josephine and I do not live in a city centre. Like no, the no, fact this that this regional, regional um, company did songs for New World of all yeah. shows was like a big deal. It's a big deal. So yeah. um, we had a great night. Mm, props and to them. Props to them. That's right. Let's see more of that, please. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, I also just want to mention, I mean, this will be sort of old news by the time people are listening, but today they announced that Broadway can reopen from September 14th. Yeah. So shows are sort of busily planning. So that won't be, it's not like all the Broadway shows will open on that Some, day, yeah. but they'll sort of, gradually stagger but that is the date that they can reopen at full capacity from god that's good yeah so i think there's a big question about like will you be required to be vaccinated or yeah. have had a negative test or something what like will it that look like? yeah yeah but um so everyone's just sort of yeah, yeah. Um, announcing when they're going to open at the wow. moment so that's yeah cool. that's exciting big times yeah um, did you hear about the great gatsby musical i did which apparently it's, so you know the great gatsby entered the public domain well that's why yes so there's a <laughs> bunch of great gatsby adaptations happening yeah look out for uh, great gatsby because yeah it entered the public domain earlier this year and so this really cool team have got together to like it's so it's florence welch yeah. of um florence and the machine are you okay yeah i'm on a different chair today everyone and i what think i just done? broke it no, like the arm. Oh, it's one of those like adjustable. Yeah, it's gamer weird. Chairs. <laughs> I kind of hurt myself on it. Anyway, but we're yeah, fine. Yeah, so um, Florence Welch is um, in it. Pulitzer Prize winning playwright um, Martina Myok. Okay. And Thomas Bartlett, who's also known as Doveman. Um, okay. They're the creative team. So it's actually a really bitching team. It's actually largely women, apart from Thomas Bartlett, even like female director, female creative team. Um, yeah, there's not much info out there about it, but it's in very early stages. I think it'll be really interesting to see how it pans out because I can't see Great Gatsby on stage, mm. but um, I'm not a visionary. Because I, so. um, I think there's like an immersive production that already existed like in the UK oh, yeah. that gets done a bit yeah. and maybe that version is going to New York as well. So there's this talk of like will there be two Great Gatsby's running in New York at the same time, like wild party style. Yes. Yeah, so that'll be interesting. Yeah, um, you know when it went into the public domain, um, the the podcast Planet Money, which is like an economics podcast that NPR does, yeah. um, they did it, they read the entire thing. <laughs> Because they could. Well, you could, It yeah. was like four and something hours long. That's awesome. Maybe even more. Yeah. That's pretty cool. They read the whole thing like as an episode <laughs> just because they could. What's amazing to me is that classic works like that are now. Entering the public domain. Yeah, that's yeah. really crazy. I guess it's that thing where we've had a bit of a period. Well, there was, the, I guess IP laws changed quite a bit. Yes. Um, for a period of time. So it was kind of like we were stopping a lot of things entering the public domain for some period of time. Well, because IP is different from like copyright and we hadn't yeah. really had that like recognition of. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so but, that, and, yeah. and it's that whole thing of like you know, is it when you die, like the person who created mm. it, is it, does the estate then, you know, there's yeah. all that sort of thing yeah. as well. My other um, sort of recommendation for the week is that the cast recording of the Australian musical Fangirls came out this week, yes. uh, which I highly recommend everyone listening to. I will link the Spotify link. And what is amazing, and I didn't realise this when it was due to be released, but Ghostlight Records are the ones who released it. It's the Ghost first Light. ever Australian musical to be released on Ghostlight. Cool. Isn't that amazing? That is really good. Yeah, so I don't really know how that happened yeah. but like fucking props to them like well, like ghostlight know how to make a cast recording yeah eh? <laughs> yeah well they sure do they sure do and so yeah just like 
it's incredible. I've seen it twice, that show. Yeah. I saw it when I was on at Belfort originally and then I saw You're the re- an actual the ret- fan girl. Yeah, an actual fangirl. <laughs> I saw the return season um, that Not they that did at the Seymour Centre, yeah, a couple of months ago. Yeah. And it's honestly such a great little original Australian show. So definitely our Australian listeners should get behind that and also our international listeners. I love it. It's fantastic. I haven't listened yet to that, so I'm yeah. going to get on board. And um, I have two other recommendations that are not theatre-related. Okay. But uh, – Josephine and I both happened to listen to these two podcasts in the last few weeks and I just want to recommend them because they're both excellent. They're called Collapse and White Silence Mm. and they're both um, from the New Zealand sort of media company stuff. Yeah. And one is about the um, Christchurch earthquake in 2011. Yeah, particularly the collapse of the CVS. CTV building. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's it, yeah. Yeah, CTV building. Yes, and the other is about a plane crash that happened in 1979. Yeah, in Antarctica. In Antarctica, like a sightseeing plane crash. And they're, they're both big things in New Zealand history. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, they're just both really great podcasts. Really if well done. If you love just like investigative, like one case podcasts. Um, you know, I was mentioning White Silence to my dad and he was like, I think those sightseeing plane, like he said, I think there's been talk of those like starting up again. Well, they, they, I know they still happen. Wow. They, they, they didn't – I don't think they really stopped. No, I thought they stopped. Well, Qantas like, does them definitely. Fuck. I mean, maybe, maybe not during COVID. Maybe just New Zealand or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But yes, possibly Air New Zealand didn't do them anymore. But I've Jeez. definitely seen them advertised. I think Qantas does them like once a year or twice a year, something like that. It's crazy. But it's, you literally just get on a plane. And you do like a round trip. Yeah. Go fly to Antarctica. Antarctica. Yeah. 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 And they happen a lot maybe not just from Australia. Like if you – you might do one from like – Easter from Island South or, or like, or, yeah. yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Cool. So anyway, but they're both really great podcasts. So if you just listen, like obviously if you like podcasts, you're listening to ours and you just want more interesting more. ones to listen to, yeah. I'm going to link to both of those as well. I have more news. Yeah. I'm sorry, I've got lots of news. Um, so we knew that there was a film production coming of Come From Away, um, that it's in the works, but Apple just announced that they've picked it up. So it's actually filming this month. Yeah. Which is really exciting. On Broadway. Yeah, on Broadway. So the cast has like currently as of this day not been announced, but the assumption is that it'll be most of the original yeah. cast. Um, the plan is to release it in September to coincide with the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So it's the same production house that filmed Hamilton. Okay. They're filming it. So we know it's going to look schmick. So yeah. That's another thing to look that's forward really to exciting. in the yeah. world of movie musicals. Yeah, these – and because, of course, um, Diana has yeah. been filmed and is th- th- coming out in Netflix – end of this year yes. or something like that yeah you know there's quite a few and i think honestly we're gonna see it more and so. more these pro shot um yes. mo- like yeah movie versions of musicals yeah but, well i think just saying the appetite musicals, for it yeah is it's totally there yeah um my last little bit of mm. trivia i was listening to the podcast no such thing as a fish this week excellent one of my favorites love it um and i found out that the 1992 hit single tetris which is um, based on the original Russian theme of the game Tetris, was actually remixed by the enigmatic artist Dr. Spin. Dr. Spin is actually Andrew Lloyd Webber. Oh, my God. I listened to this episode as well and I was walking the dog and I was like, I've got to remember to make a note of this to say in the podcast. And I completely forgot, so I'm so glad you did. Well, it was like I remember that. I remember listening to Dr. Spin's Tetris. I totally remember this and it charted in the UK and everything. Like I I can still hear the sound and it's very like Starlight Expressy sort of. Yeah. But when they said Dr. Spin is Andrew Lloyd Webber, I was like, what the – yeah, it's I love it because awesome. they're very much not fit. Well, a couple of them are into like kind of English literature and so they have a bit of a theatre knowledge of like Chekhov and Shakespeare and yeah. things like that, but they are not musical theatre people on that no. podcast. So anytime something to do with theatre comes up, it's quite funny because they just don't really know what's happening. But I think their intro to it was like, and speaking of cats, and then they're all like, yeah. what, we, what do you mean cats? And then yeah. they're like, no, the musical. Yeah, it's oh, quite fuck. funny. It's very funny. It's yeah. a good podcast yeah, too. So. it's a great podcast. But yeah, Dr. Spin. Yeah, awesome. Um, are you first this week? I am. Well, tell me about a musical. Okay. Do you know what I'm doing? I do. Okay. I'm not looking forward to it. Aren't you? <laughs> well, this week everyone I'm doing the producers. Mm. What are your thoughts? I don't like it. Yeah? <laughs> just not your cup of tea? Yeah, I think it's just that like like um, bawdy musical comedy that is just – 
too silly. I right. think I think it's just too much for me. Like okay. I, I don't see the purpose in it. Unlike something like Dirty Rotten Scoundrels that to me is like at least a little smaller and at least feels a bit more character driven. Mm. This just feels like a ridiculous mishmash of stupid characters. Yeah, interesting. Okay, okay, cool. What do you think of well, it? Well, so of course <laughs> it's me, so I'm covering another early 2000s musical comedy. Yeah, right. Again. Does this mean you've done that entire Broadway season? Probably. <laughs> uh, this is earlier than that that's the 2005 season 2005, I think you're thinking yeah. of which I did well this is like, 2001 wasn't it yes that's yeah. right yeah um so this is one of the very few musicals that we've discussed or discussing that I've been in a production You've of done it. Yeah. yes so I played the small role of Shirley Markowitz the lighting <laughs> designer that uh, is in the number keep it gay in an amateur production in 2009 oh shit was yeah, it that, that long, long ago, ago. yeah wow. um it was I have to say it was a really fun show to be in like it was a fun show to watch yeah, yeah. and um and I do just think in general that it is a fun, funny show. Like, like I grew up loving Mel Brooks. Like, Mel Brooks to me, yeah. like Robin Hood, Men in Tights, Dracula Dead and Loving It. Like, they were some of my favourite movies Robin when Hood, I was a Men kid. Robin Hood, Men in Tights is one of my favourite yes. films. Like, so I think it will I always was, be. I think I was kind of like, Where you know, predispositions have really loved the show anyway kind yeah. of thing because it, it is that very specific style of satire and and whatever that that I already like that humour kind of yeah. thing. So, yeah. So um, the producers is a musical adapted by Mel Brooks and Thomas Meehan from Brooks's 1967 film of the same name <laughs> with lyrics written by Mel Brooks and music composed by Brooks and arranged by Glenn Kelly and orchestrated by Doug Besterman. Um, so, of course, Mel Brooks is a very famous comedian and screenwriter. I don't think we really need to go into his um, CV too much. Most of you will probably know who he is. He's still alive. He is. He's in his, I think he's in his 90s, maybe 95. I should have written it down. But, yes, he is still alive. Yeah. Um, Thomas Meehan we discussed briefly before because he also wrote the book for Hairspray. Um, but in addition, he wrote the books for Annie, Young Frankenstein and Crybaby. Yeah, so, so yeah, he a, a passed theme. away a few years ago, but he was a yeah quite fa- successful. I'm surprised Crybaby's in there actually. Mm. But mm, okay, yeah, um, which I actually quite liked. It's I like ca- Crybaby. It's coming back to the Opera House. I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah which is great. Um, I also mentioned the arrangers because the feeling I get is that Mel Brooks probably wrote the melodies, but that. Like someone had to actually, put yeah, it and like down. obviously he wrote the lyrics, yeah. and I, I just get the gen- that these two gentlemen, the arranger and the orchestrator, did a lot of the heavy lifting <laughs> as far as the actual orchestral music that was composed. Yeah, probably a bit like Alex Lacamoire, right? I, I like, think it's a lot more than that. Oh, really? Because I, I can imagine. Well, like, I mean, at least Lynn is like Lynn Manuel. Well, is, Lynn plays the piano. Yeah, for like one he's thing, musical. Whereas I get the feel. I mean, you look. I'm. I might be talking out of turn here, but it could be that Mel literally just like sang them the song. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I don't think he would have sat down and been like, "These are the chords." Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like whereas I think Lynn would at least be writing chord charts. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, playing it on keyboard and yes. stuff. Um, don't get me wrong. I think Alex Lacamoire is incredibly a talented genius. and does a lot of work. But yeah, yeah. Um, I really think that these two men did a lot of work so <laughs> so both men have arranged and orchestrated for a large number of Broadway shows and in fact Doug Besterman the orchestrator has won three Tony Awards for best oh, orchestration wow. including one for this so yeah, yeah he, like very talented yeah. gentleman uh so the story it is 1959 and we're in New York City where once famed Broadway producer Max Bialystok is lamenting that his latest show oh I did a little squeak on my slipper I don't know if everyone heard that his latest show a musical version of Hamlet entitled Funny Boy just classic yeah love it has closed after one performance the next day a mousy young accountant by the name of Leo Bloom has come to audit Max's books and Leo comments on the fact that Funny Boy cost $98,000 to produce but that Max had raised $100,000 from investors and that under these right circumstances the producers may be able to make more money from a flop than a hit if you raise more than you um than the show actually costs you so max comes up with a harebrained scheme which is as follows step one we find the worst play ever written step two we hire the worst director in town step three we raise two million dollars one for me one for you there's a lot of little old ladies out there (laughs) step four we hire the worst actors in new york and open on broadway and before you can say step five we close on broadway take our two million and go to rio right that's the that's the thing from the show so they find a play called Springtime for Hitler, a gay romp with Adolf and Ava at Berchtensgaden, written by ex-Nazi Franz Liebken. Oh, my God. They hire Roger Debris, considered to be the worst director in town, and somewhere along the way here they hire 
Ulla Inga Hansen, Benson, Janssen, Talen, Harlan, Svarden, Svonsen to be their secretary slash receptionist. That was well done. Thank you. You did a good job. Uh, the show opens on Broadway and unfortunately for Max and Leo, everyone takes it to be brilliant satire. <laughs> so it is basically a giant hit rather than a flop. Uh, Max is then arrested for cooking the books, but Leo hides and he and Ulla escape to Rio. Leo... Uh, it feels guilty and returns to testify for Max in court and the judge sends both of them to prison for five years where they write a show called Prisoners of Love which goes to Broadway and they're pardoned by the governor. <laughs> and that's the end of the show. Magnificent. Yeah, so it is very silly, silly. as uh, as Josephine says, but also with some excellent sort of, I mean, springtime for Hitler. And, yeah. and in fact, that is what Mel Brooks, came, when he was writing the original film, he came up with that title springtime for Hitler before yeah. he came up with anything else. Yeah, you would, right? Yes. Like that's, that's yeah. what it hinges on. It's amazing. But it's just like what Mel Brooks is good at is like writing these stories that perfectly situate characters in ridiculous situations yes. that are funny. Like yes. it's just really funny. He's so good at that. Yeah. yeah. So a bit of history about the, the show itself. So the entrepreneur David Geffen convinced Mel Brooks that he should adapt his film that produces into a musical. Uh, and Mel initially met with composer Jerry Herman to write the music. Ooh. And Jerry Herman was basically like, um, you should just do this yourself. Like, yeah. Yeah. cause he'd written, I think there's a few songs in the film, in the original film. Yeah. Like I there's was... like springtime for Hitler yes, is in the original song, film. Yes. I, there's, I think there's, I, it's been a long time since I've seen the, the original yeah, film. I, seen that for I years. saw it when I did the show, but I haven't seen it since, but yeah. Um, and I think there's maybe, yeah, two or three kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so he's like, you, you can do this. Like, I don't know why you're coming to me kind yeah. of thing. So the producers had a pre-Broadway tryout at Chicago's Cadillac Palace from February 1st to 25th, 2001. It then opened at the St. James Theatre on April 19th, 2001 mm-hmm. and ran for 2,502 performances closing on April 22nd, 2007. Wow. Considering though the show was such a smash hit when it first opened, that is not that long, all things considered. But when you also consider the time, like, the, the world, like yeah. the number of shows that closed in 2001, yes. like that's pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Um, the consensus kind of seemed to have been that although the show is great, like it was actually Nathan and Lane and Matthew Broderick yeah. who were really kind of taking it to the next level yeah. and without them in the show there just wasn't as much draw for an audience. Yeah. So, I like, whenever they that. were in it, it would break all these box office records yeah. and completely sell out and then they would go and it would still be successful but mm. just not the smash hit. So, like, they did a return um, season at some point during the, the run and once again it, like, yeah. broke box, you know, so it was like. But, like, they that pairing and those two characters, like, it, it's too dependent yes. on them and I think. Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick are just all time at yeah. it. Like you yeah. can't beat that. And pairing. I read a couple of articles that even suggested that like, cause the marketing was all like them leaning on each other in the yeah. doorway. Like it was very much about those two them. men. Yeah. yeah. And I so I still remember that from the CD cover yes, actually. Yes. Yeah. And so I think they kind of realized that maybe afterwards that that was a bit of a mistake, but anyway, mm. So the show was nominated for 15 Tony Awards, which was a record at the time. Yeah. It has since been broken by Hamilton, which received 16 nominations. Yes. It then won a record 12 Tony Awards. So it won Best Musical, Book, Score, Director, Best Actor for Nathan Lane as Max Bialystok, Best Featured Actor for Gary Beach as Roger Debris, Best Featured Actress for Katie Huffman as Ula, Choreography, orchestrations, scenic design, costume design, and lighting design. In fact, it literally won every single category that it was nominated in. So the ones they missed out on, missed out on were just the other actors competing against their actors, oh, and that's it. So the show itself won all of its it awards. It won everything. Wow. Yeah, and so I think the um, the reason that um, Hamilton wasn't able to quite. Um, get there. So like it, it still holds, a producer still holds that record. I think Hamilton got 11. Mm. They didn't win best set scenic design. Which I also think is a scandal. Yeah. And was they that... didn't win all the acting awards No, either. they didn't. Yeah. Because Lynn, yeah. Well, no. No, they didn't win. Um, Cynthia Revo won that year. That's right. Yeah. I think they won, they might have won the other three though. They did. Yeah. Yeah, because Leslie. Leslie and, and um, David. Yeah. 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 So... Those were basically the two they so missed. So Colour Purple won for set that year too, right? No, I think I think She Loves Me did. She Loves Me. I'm pretty sure it was that year. Oh. I could be wrong. Anyway, hmm. something else won. Yeah, okay. But, yeah, like it was a big deal that they missed out. Yeah. Um. So the shows it beat for Best Musical that year, I will say though, like listen to this, were Jane Eyre, 
a class act. You rolled your eyes then. Jane has a good song. <laughs> Singular. <laughs> um, a class act and the Full Monty. Now, Full Monty's good. Yeah. But, and, and like, don't get me wrong, I'm sure those shows, but they weren't very successful shows. No. No. That's so, not really a like, competition. Yes. Yeah. So it's not surprising yeah. that the producers did as well as it did. Um, when the producers broke the Tony record with 12 wins, that record had previously been held for 37 years oh. by Hello Dolly with 10 wins. Shit. Yeah, isn't that amazing? What's amazing to me is that Hello Dolly was that old yeah. at the time. That's amazing. Jeez. Yeah, so that's quite crazy. Uh, so the producers opened in uh, London's West End at the Theatre Royal Drury Lane on November 9th, 2004 and closed on January 6th, 2007 after 920 performances. So that's a fairly decent run for the West End, like all things considered. You're right, it was She Loves Me. Yeah, yeah. which which by the way, that She Loves that Me revival is, is incredible. Yeah, that it is, set. it is, like, yeah. It deserved, like, I mean, the Hamilton set is also incredible, but, like, that She Loves Me set is really yeah, special. Yeah, it's magnificent. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Go on. Um, and I would also say that the Hamilton set isn't particularly showy. No. In comparison. So. No, but it's clever. Yes, very clever. So the somewhat crazy thing about the West End production of The Producers is that until literally four days before previews were due to start, the role of Max was due to be played by Richard Dreyfus. Um, really? Yeah, he was playing opposite Lee Evans as Leo, who's a great oh. um, British comedian. But apparently, like, Dreyfus had never done a musical before and was just woefully unprepared to the point where the statement when he was he was let go <gasps> that they released was that he was unable to fulfil the rigours of the role. Yeah, wow. And, like, I've heard interviews about this and it was just, like, he just, he'd not done it. Like, he doesn't know what to do. No, like, he was just, yeah, he was literally just, like, woefully unprepared. Oh, wow. Um, so Nathan Lane was flown over on incredibly short notice and I assume with a lot of money thrown at him. Would have to be. Uh, and he opened the show instead and did it, you know, for the for the first however long. Shit. So they were nominated for eight Olivier Awards uh, that year and they won three, Best New Musical, Best Actor for Nathan Lane and Best Featured Actor for Conleth Hill who played Roger Debris. So Roger Debris is obviously a bit of a yeah. great little like character it's a good part. Moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, of course, that, you know, Roger Debris actually gets to um, play Hitler yeah. in the end. The director in... steps in and plays Hitler. That's right, because Hitler breaks his leg. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, um, yeah, yeah, it's... Um, it's yeah, it's quite amazing. Um, just a few other mentions of production. So during the Los Angeles and San Francisco stints of the US tour, which were quite long um, seasons, Jason Alexander and Martin Short played Leo and Max. Love. Yeah, which I think would have been great. And the show also had a Las Vegas stint for a year because, of course, that's what was happening back then. Yeah. Uh, which was a cut down 90 minute version. <laughs> um, and in which David Hasselhoff had top billing starring as Roger Debris. <gasps> He'd yeah. be great, Roger, though. <laughs> yeah. um, later on in that production, Tony Dancer appeared as Max Bialystok. Yeah, nice. And I think he might have done it on Broadway as well, actually, Tony Dancer. Yeah. I yeah. love Tony Dancer. Your husband loves Tony Dancer. For good reason. Yeah, it's a weird one, though. <laughs> um, in 2005, the musical was adapted into a film. It was directed by Susan Stroman, who directed the original um, Broadway production yeah. and starred most of the original Broadway cast except for Franz and Ulla, who were portrayed by Will Ferrell and Uma Thurman, respectively. Yeah. I thought Will Ferrell was fine. Um, Uma Thurman obviously looks the part and acts it fine, but, like, she vocally sing. she's yeah. just not there. Yeah. And when you have a song where you're like, now Ulla belt, and then they can't belt, yeah. it's a little bit awkward. Yeah, it is. Um the movie on the whole, sadly, is is not great. No, um, it's not. It's basically an exact copy of the stage show but just not on a stage, like yeah. shot on locations and on a soundstage. And there's so much humour in it that's just quite specific to the live experience and that just really hasn't translated into the film. Yeah. I did hear an interview with Nathan Lane once where he talked about how it was shot straight after Mel Brooks's wife, Anne Bancroft, had passed away oh. and he was, and they'd been married for like 45 years or something like they'd been married for a really long time and he was just really deep in grief and apparently was just basically like, look, the stage show worked, do it the same as the stage show, and he just wouldn't really hear anyone else's opinions about it. Mm. Um, yeah, so it was quite a it was quite a sad interview actually like when Nathan Lane was talking about it because I think he really felt like it was a big missed opportunity to do something interesting with the film. Yeah, you know? but like it's not his. And, That's it. You know, it was still a successful film, right? Yeah. Like people watched it. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. Yeah, that, so. oh God, that's awful. Yeah, so that's a shame. You wondered, anyway. Um, anyway. So some facts. So we've discussed this before, but this is one of the shows that went from movie 
to musical to movie yes, musical. That's right. Yeah. So we talked like we've talked before. Yeah. yeah. Hairspray is one. Little Shop of Horrors is one. Nine is one. A Little Night Music. Sweet Charity. These yeah. are all movies um, shows that did that. So uh, I just like that category. I it's think a it's cool fun. category. Yeah. Um, the character being named Leo Bloom is an homage to Leopold Bloom, protagonist of James Joyce's Ulysses. Yes. I didn't know that. Oh, and have so you I not was, read Ulysses? Fuck off. <laughs> no, I have not read Ulysses, <laughs> Josephine Emmett. I wrote my um, my English Extension 2 paper on Ulysses. You are such a nerd. It was like about the stream of consciousness and, yeah. It's a oh my slog. God. It is a slog, that book. Yes. No, I have not read Ulysses. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, that was obviously obvious to you <laughs> that that character was named after that. Um, I also have not watched this TV show, but on Curb Your Enthusiasm, yeah. the producers is apparently featured in almost every episode of season four. Yeah, it's like it's pretty funny actually how it's Yeah, yeah that is a in. show I should watch though. You I would reckon love I would Curb really Enthusi- like it. Have yeah. you thought you've not no, seen any of it? I've never oh, seen it. Ruth, yeah, you would love it. <clears throat> yeah, so but it's like they're gonna cast Larry David in it, yeah. I think is part of the thing, and Mel Brooks is in it. And yeah. yeah, it's a whole um, thing. Oh, who's the player? The oh, the Mel Brooks player, John, God, what's his name? He's a character in, in okay, Curb Enthusiasm. Right. He was the one who played, he played um, John in in Robin Hood. Oh, okay. God, what is his name? Yeah, right. He died I know what you mean. He's a comedian, ago. right? Yeah, he's a comedian. Yeah. <clears throat> so I keep talking. So the yeah, original director of the stage show was actually a man named Mike Ockrent and that was Susan Stroman's husband. Um, and so she was always due to choreograph Richard show. Lewis. Oh, Richard Lewis, yes. yes I know yes, the comedian, yes. yeah. Um, so Susan Stroman was always due to choreograph the show but and Mike was to direct it, oh. but he died of leukemia in 1999, so he, um, they asked her to take over the direction as well. Wow. Yeah, and that's quite a bit. I've actually, like, seen interviews with her. They were only married for a few years and it was, like, this really beautiful love story and then he died of leukemia quite soon into, their, into their marriage. I think he was directing crazy for you on broadway which he also conceived yeah um and yeah i think she was either the i think she was the choreographer and he just like fell in love with her like yeah it's quite he was a bit older and he was a british man and yeah it's a whole thing but anyway it's Mm. sad but yes that's why she ended up directing it as well as choreographing it um after the show was such a smash hit um this was the first ever broadway musical to introduce premium pricing yeah, so that was oh, this kind of late. Yeah, wow. so like literally, and you know, like if you're going to Broadway now, it is so common. I mean, it's on every show. Yeah, even so, here. Um, yeah, that's right. So that was it's basically the idea was to fight the scalpers because the scalpers were getting however much for thousands of dollars for a ticket, and so that this was where it used to just be that like the top ticket price was the top ticket price, yes. and that was it. So we'd had a one hundred dollar top ticket price, which was considered so high for 2001 that was like the the highest it had ever been wow which is insane when you think about it 20 years later because it's like a lot more than that now and then they introduced a 480 dollars premium ticket price now that is nothing compared to the 1200 dollars that um 250 or whatever that hamilton asks for for their top premium ticket price now but at the time was like oh my god i cannot believe that but it's like the scalpers were selling them for fifteen hundred dollars, and like someone's someone's paying for it, right? Yeah. Like someone's buying yeah, it. The, Not that I think it's right, demand, but yeah, because you're really pricing people out of yeah. culture and theatre. But anyway, yeah, it's wow. a whole thing. So anyway, yeah, but they were the first one, and now it is. I would never have guessed it even, was that recent. Even by the time they closed, it's two thousand seven or whatever, it was like completely normal for all Broadway shows to have one. So that, it really did usher in a whole brand new era of t- ticket pricing and wow. because it was probably also I mean I don't really know when dynamic ticket pricing became a thing uh so dynamic ticket pricing like like airport airlines do right so like yeah it's based on supply and demand the ticket price might change yes that is something that Broadway now does that they didn't always do now well, yeah online, like depends on the the week or the time of day or exactly. whatever yeah. yeah and even just like if everyone's buying a ticket they'll put up the tickets yeah. for that yeah, yeah so it's a whole thing. But, yeah, mm. it's just ticketing has changed a lot in the last 20, yeah, 30 years. With, with the advent of online sales, I guess. Yes, of course. So both the original 1967 film and the 2005 adaptation were filmed at the same film studio, which oh. is Chelsea Studios in New York City. Nice. that was cute. Yeah. And the original film, of course, starred Zero Mostel and Gene Wilder as yeah. Bialystok and Bloom. Um, interestingly, Dustin Hoffman was originally cast as Franz Liebkind. Oh. But the night before shooting started, Mel Brooks let him out to audition for The Graduate, thinking that he wouldn't get it, 
which of course he did oh, and starred shit. opposite Mel Brooks's wife Anne Bancroft in um, and like that was the thing that like launched Dustin Hoffman's oh, career yeah. as well. But yeah, no, he was literally, it was like the night before shooting was due to start wow. on the producers. Um, and the original film was also Mel Brooks's directorial debut yeah. and he won an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay for the film. Yeah. Um, and actually it didn't do that well originally. It did okay but it's since become obviously a, a cult classic, the yeah. film. So. Yeah, I think um, I think it's worth pointing out at this stage that the character of Ulla, who we mentioned, the Swedish um, uh, secretary slash receptionist, they call her, really serves no purpose in the show. Like just a token woman. Like her purpose is to be hot. And to serve as a target of lust for these two men. Like, yeah, like highly sexualized. Yeah. And even like, so there's like this love story between her and, and Leo. But it's not a love story, is it? No, like there's no real it's kind more of just like about proximity. Like, there's exactly, a man of a like, similar age and you're a beautiful woman. It's a bizarre thing. It's not bizarre, Ruth. It's very sexist. Yes, exactly. So I, I will say that that is one of those things where you're looking at it now, you're like, oh, like, there's no basis here. Because, um, like, what are the female characters in, in the producers? You've got Ula, you've got all the old women. It's all the little old ladies. You've got the lesbian lighting designer. Yeah, who I played. Um, yep. Yeah. <laughs> you've got, like, the two ushers at the beginning who sing its opening night. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, mm. it's very little. Not that I'm saying there's depth in the show at all anyway, <laughs> so it's fine. But... but, yeah, it is one of those things where you're like, I hope that that wouldn't be written that way now, but, yeah. Mm. Um, so on the whole, I do think that this show is mostly really incredible satire. There are a few parts that have an age as well, and I don't think some of them would go down as well today. Yeah. But I have to say it never really punches down to anyone except for Hitler and the Nazis. Yeah. Like, like that is what's great about it, right? Yeah. Like it's not making fun of marginalised groups really. Yeah. Like there is a song like Keep It Gay that you might say, well, should Mel Brooks, who is a straight man, have written, but it's, it's always celebrating. Yes. The, it's, it's the fact that they are making it gay is actually making it like better in the end. Yeah, and I thought that was always an homage to his work in a you know like in an industry that is exactly like gay. You exactly. know what I mean? Like I always exactly. felt like it was that. And of course, like the majority of the satire is about like the Jewish people yeah. and and the Nazis and the fact that it's like, can you really be making? And of course, Mel yes. Brooks is Jewish, Jewish and yeah. you know lived throughout you know that yeah. time period and stuff. So it's sort of like he's really talking from experience when it yes. comes to these things. And I love this quote that he wrote. Um, this was about when he was writing the original film. He said. More than anything, the great Holocaust by the Nazis is probably the great outrage of the 20th century. There's nothing to compare with it. And so what can I do about it? I get on the soapbox and wax eloquently. It'll be blown away in the wind. But if I do springtime for Hitler, it'll never be forgotten. (laughs) I think you can bring down totalitarian governments faster by using ridicule than you can with invective. Absolutely. Yeah, and so I really, um, and I do think that that element of the satire has held up very well and will continue to exactly yeah. exactly so yes like there's there's certain things where you'd go probably that wouldn't be treated that way if it was written 20 years later yeah. um and that sort of thing but For the core business of the musical exactly is still yeah exactly yeah. and i and i do think it really does serve as purpose but and, and it is hilarious like there this is a, very a laugh out loud show like it is yeah i think it's a bit long for a comedy okay i could see i don't really have a sense i don't really have a memory of how long it was mm. i have a feeling the production we were in was very long. <laughs> yes, it was. Um, so I'm going to link to uh, the original Broadway cast's recording, of course, and also the movie soundtrack. And the version I'm going to link to is the Borders exclusive, which is really showing its age, oh. which included an extra song on it. <laughs> oh, Borders. Yeah, Josephine worked at Borders, so it's a it's yeah. a real throwback. For those who were too young, it was a an amazing book, a store. book music, whatever store, lots Coffee. of different, had cafe. Yeah. It was yeah. a great, great store. Great store. Um, so some gateway songs. So I'm going to go with, um, I want to be a producer, which yeah, is, nice. um, Leo's sort of like, cause that is what Leo wants to do. It's and he sing, song, sings, yeah. yes, it's his, I want song literally. Yeah. Um, and it's a great song. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he has like chorus girls and whatever, but uh, yeah, chorus girls again. It's yeah. very cheesy and whatever. All room, yeah. um, Keep It Gay that we've mentioned a few times. Such a good song. It's a great song that Roger Debris sings, which is basically like that's how the, the show is going to success if he keeps it gay and he's got his whole uh, production team of, of like of ridiculous um, camp characters. Camp uh, stereotypes, then, yes. Yes, correct. <laughs> um, and then the last song that I would suggest is When You Got It Flaunt It, which yeah. we mentioned before, which is all song um which is her yeah when you got it flaunt it when she says now Ulla belt and then Uma Thurman couldn't really belt but 
uh, Katie Huffman, who plays the original, really can belt. So yes. definitely listen to her do that as well. Nice. So, yeah, that's the producers. Oh, nice. Yeah. I still don't like it. No. No. It's just not your sort of show, it's I don't just think. not. Like, I need more. I need more pathos. <laughs> <Death>. <laughs> yeah, depth. Yeah. I mean, I love satire, but, yeah, no, it's just not. Yeah. Mm. Sorry. That's okay. You didn't much care for hairspray either. No, I didn't. <laughs> is this a theme? Could be. Can I tell you about a show that is not funny? I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> How rare for us, this dynamic. Um, okay, I want to talk about Grey Gardens. Excellent. Yeah. Um, I don't know when I originally fell in love with the original, like the source material for Grey Gardens, the documentary, but yeah. I was pretty I, young. I know. I, I reckon I first saw it. 15 years ago. Yeah, the, the I doco. reckon for me it would be longer. Yeah, like, right. I, I fell in love with it and I, I feel like it's just always been part of my life. Mm. Um, it's probably the first documentary I ever saw that really shook me. Yeah, right. Like I wonder if it's really the first like documentary film I I've think ever have seen. it's considered very early in the show. I mean, yes, as far as we sort of know the genre today. Yes. It's considered very early. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And it really changed the genre for yeah. sure. So I've been racking my brains all week and you could probably help me with this, but I think this is the only musical to ever be based on a documentary. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like I couldn't think of any others. Mm. And even when you Google search it, it's not like a category that comes up. No. Of like documentaries that have been turned into musicals. Yeah, so I think that's... this is its own category. I, I think I'm going to support you in that statement. Well, because like it's pretty niche and it's not like someone's going to make like black fish the musical <laughs> but this Cat, one catfish would be even better catfish the musical that might lend itself yeah. but this like Grey Gardens does lend itself to the musical category I think yeah if you haven't seen the original documentary you have to it's compulsory viewing I made Shane watch it really early in our relationship did you yeah and like because it's it's really good and yeah. he loves documentaries but he thought that if things had worked out a little differently for myself and my mum, that we <laughs> we could have very easily become big and little Edie. You literally, and you would have a very similar dynamic, I reckon. That's the point. Yeah. So my sister talks about it all the time where she's like, um, that is you and mum, yeah. like the bickering. The, yeah, yes. So. Like you love each other, but it's that sort yeah. of. Yeah. And almost like that cape, like we could be codependent if we let it get that bad. <laughs> but anyway, so the plot. Well, what do you think of Grey Gardens before I go into it? Yeah, so I didn't – I saw it in London, what, in about 2016? I'm sure you'll talk about that production. Yeah. Um, at the – not the Menier, no, one of the others, um, the one across the bridge or south of south of the – anyway, Southwark, Southwark Playhouse. I saw yeah. it at the Southwark Playhouse. I just remembered the name. Um, and I'd never seen it before. I loved the first act. Oh, you didn't like the second I act? I just found it <gasps> quite strange. Oh, it's almost no. like two different shows. It's a bit like Summer in the Park but in that way. have you seen the documentary? Yes, I have. I love the documentary. Okay. Oh, my I God. Just, it, it's, it is like a real like trippy kind of. Yes. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I still really enjoyed it, but the the first act is almost its own little musical. It is. Yeah. yeah. It really is. Sort of how like Summer in the Park is. But, yeah, I just, I don't know, like it. It was a really – it's a strange show. Like the second act is strange. Yeah. But I'd never really listened to it before that. I think wow. I'd maybe heard a couple of songs like at concerts and things. But yeah, that's I'm it. sure that's true. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's so, really yes, interesting. I, but I enjoyed seeing it. I definitely enjoyed it. It was um, Jenna, um, that woman that we love, um, who was in Sunday in the Park. She was Dot in the um, oh, London in the, Revival. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know who. And she's Mary in the – Menier, Merrily We're All Along. Yeah, and she is really good. Yeah, yeah. I'll look up her name. You yeah, look talking. her up. So the plot of Grey Gardens. So as Ruth said, the first act is, yeah, quite different to the second act. The first act is a completely fictional representation of what is sort of assumed to be the early lives of the two women. So the two women being um, Big Edie and Little Edie. So it's really like set in their heyday. So it's in it's in 1941. It's set in East Hampton at this beautiful opulent estate called Grey Gardens. Um, little Edie is 24 and Big Edie is 47 and their life is really good. So 
um, Big Edie is Little Edie's mother, for those who don't know. But basically they have money, they have prospects, they throw these amazing parties and Little Edie is engaged to a Kennedy, like yeah. to Joe Kennedy. Like an actual Kennedy. Yeah, the eldest brother, the yeah. one who died in the war. Um, Big Edie, who is played by Christine Ebersole in the first act, just a mental note, mm. is planning this musical review in honour of her daughter's engagement but things sort of degrade really quickly. So she finds out that her absentee husband, Little Edie's dad, is divorcing her and then Little Edie's fiancé breaks off their engagement because it turns out Little Edie's just a little too, like, independent and a modern woman for a Kennedy. Mm. Um, So basically then Little Edie runs off to New York to pursue her life on the stage and Big Edie is left to hold her musical review alone. And so the first act ends with her, like, trying to hold her shit together in Grey Gardens. Yeah. With her husband's gone, her daughter's gone. Um, then act two opens, it's 32 years later and Grey Gardens is in complete shambles. So the women are being evicted by the fire department because the house has gone completely to ruins. Like there are hundreds of feral cats everywhere. They're hoarders. They're hoarders. Like it's total squalor. Um, this act is based very closely on the documentary, like almost word for word. So if you know the documentary, the first act, you'll be like, what is this? And then the second act is where it all comes together, I think. Um, So Little Edie in the second act is played by the same actress who played Big Edie in the first act. Yeah, which I love. So um, it was Jenna Russell Jenna Russell, yeah, Yeah. thank you. I can see her face. Yeah. Um, And so Big Edie, Little Edie and Big Edie are unable to sort of keep up with the maintenance of the estate Obviously, it's a big, like, mansion. That's That shit's expensive. Um, and they don't really have any money, right? Well, they don't. Like, no. You, you, that sort of gentry, like, the American class system is really interesting to me, but they are supposed to have, like, family money. Yeah. And when Big Edie's husband left her, he was like, you can have the estate and that is it. Yes. Like, like see you later. And apparently, um, like, in, the, in real life, Big Edie had two sons, so they had three kids all up. Mm. So Little Edie's two older brothers were, like, quite successful but refused to pay upkeep because of – because they just thought it was really unhealthy yeah. that the women lived there. So they were like, if we don't pay, then they have to move out. Yeah. But the women were so stubborn. They were like, no, no, we will live here in squalor. Yeah, wow. So it got to the stage where eventually the sons did chip in because they realised the standoff was not working. Yeah. But it's so sad, man. So anyway – both women are basically like prisoners in their own lives. Um, they rail against each other and their circumstances. Both are sort of perpetually stuck in the glory of the past. Um, but eventually, like, it is it is essentially a tale of these really tragic, oh, so tragic characters who are just not where they wanted to be or thought yeah. they would be, who eventually realise that they they are each other's loves. Yes. Um and that they're obviously codependent, but that's just how their life is now. Mm. And that's the end. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's dark, man. It's so dark. And, yeah, if you, like, the end of the documentary is this beautiful scene where little Edie's, like, swimming in the ocean and just talking about how, like, she just sort of, this is her life now. Because how old is little Edie in the? She's 57, I right. think. Right, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, but you see pictures of them both when they were younger and they're just like, well, I mean, they're related to Jackie, Jackie yeah, Onassis. Bo- like, yeah, Bouvier. Yeah, anyway. Anyway, background. So Grey Gardens, interestingly, Grey is spelt with an E. Because mm. you know how in America they spell it with an A? Oh, do they? No, I don't think I huh. realise. Like the colour they spell yeah. with an A. Okay, yeah, I don't I, think I quite realise that. Yeah, so Grey Gardens with an E yeah. is a book musical with music by Scott Frankel and lyrics by Michael Corey and book by Doug Wright. It was announced in 2002 that the three dudes were in discussion to create a musical based on the doco and just before her death in 2002, Little Edie had expressed like a lot of excitement for it to be right. produced into a musical. So... That's cute, I think. Um, yeah. Two years later, the musical was chosen to participate in the Sundance Institute Theatre Lab in yep. Florida, yep. Um, which is just basically like a two-week-long workshop. And that workshop featured Christine Ebersole and Mary Louise Wilson um, in the main roles. Yep. Then in October 2005, there were these sort of developmental readings performed at Playwrights Horizons. It was it then officially opened off-Broadway on March 7th, 2006 at Playwrights Horizons. It ran off Broadway for two months to mixed reviews from critics, but like Ebersol and Wilson were incredibly celebrated, right. like just beloved. 
Um, it did keep selling out though. Like that off-Broadway run had it wasn't originally planned to go for two months. It was right. renewed three times. Yeah. So critics were mixed but like audiences loved it, just really loved it. Um, so that, uh, that off-Broadway production, even though it was so brief, was nominated for 12 Drama Desk Awards and five Lucille Lortel Awards. Right. Um, it won one Drama Desk Award for Christine Ebersole and for that production, she also got like every other possible award. She got the Obie, the Outer Critics Circle Award, the Special Citation from the New York Drama Critics, and a Drama League Award. Yeah. Like, but I mean, she's awesome, right? Like, incredible. She's just insane. Anyway, so it was then revised. Like, there was quite a bit actually was done to it to fix it up. And it opened on Broadway at the Walter Kerr Theatre in November 2006. Still pretty amazing that they transferred it to Broadway, isn't it? Right. Considering the show and yes, if it didn't get like incredible reviews. No, it really yeah. didn't. And, I mean, they made quite a few important changes that obviously really did change the game for the show. But even then, like there was a lot of talk that the Broadway production, the producers really fucked it anyway. Oh, so really? So it's just amazing to me that it got to Broadway at all. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it moved to the Walter Kerr Theatre in 2006. That ran for 33 previews and 307 performances with almost the whole original cast from the off-Broadway production. Yeah. The little Edie in the first act was replaced and apparently that was really important in moving it to Broadway and replacing whoever that woman oh, was. Oh, okay. I can't remember what her name was. Because she wasn't good. Yeah. The, okay. the chick who played her in the Broadway production, that was excellent. Yeah. And they, like, removed a couple of songs and added some new stuff. Um, yes, the script was reworked. Critics loved it once it opened on Broadway. The Times called it the number one show of 2006. Um, so then that production was nominated for 10 Tony Awards at the 2007 Awards. It won three. It won um, Best Actress for Christine Ebersole, Best Supporting for Mary Louise Wilson, and it won one for Costume Design. That year Spring Awakening won Best Musical. Okay, yeah. Um, Makes there's sense. a lot of disagreement over that, like right. from fans of Grey Gardens and also critics had really expected it to win. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, particularly in the category, definitely of Best Musical, but particularly in um, Best Original Score and Best Orchestrations. Yeah. Yeah. So after that, there have been like a number of other productions. So as Ruth said, there's there's been um, like I think there were two London productions. Okay. Um, well, because like I said, that was 2016 that I saw it. Yeah. So probably there was one soon after they did Broadway kind of thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. There was like there was a US tour. There was um, there's been a few like there's one there was one sort of notable one in Seattle. There was one in Australia that um, was super limited. It ran for like a week at the Arts Centre in Melbourne oh, okay. Playhouse. Yeah. Um, and I think they did it at the Hayes. Yeah. Yeah, but I didn't – I think – I don't remember when it was, but I didn't get to see it. No, that's right. Yeah. So that cast, the Melbourne production, had Pamela Rabe and Nancy oh, Hayes. Wow. Yeah, Pamela so Rabe would have been amazing. Amazing, right? Yeah. yeah so just lo lots of cool productions. There was a Japanese production, which I yeah. think is always fascinating. Um, yeah, and – Oh, no, I'm actually wrong. The London production was its premiere oh, in 2016. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the one I saw, yeah. Yeah, hmm, that's yeah. cool. And that's a Southwark Playhouse is a cool little venue. Yeah. Yeah. It's very suited, I think, to this show. Yeah, but um, tiny. I mean, maybe 200 seats. Like, I think that's what this show needs. Okay, right. I think that's what every show needs. Yeah. <laughs> um, so some fun facts. Jackie Onassis's younger sister, Lee Radzeville, um, who was Little Edie's cousin and Big Edie's niece, so yep. um, they were both Bouviers. Lee Radzeville, she was um, she was Princess Lee, I think. That's like right. she'd married a Polish prince or something. I find it so fascinating, these like rich American I know families. That. Like the American dynasties are like it's so fascinating. Yeah, yeah, like it's a whole other kind of world. It is. I know how they're all like, no, we're American, we're not England, dude. You're the same. Because like Jackie Onassis was married to because Maria Callas wasn't like Onassis, isn't that Maria Callas's ex-husband? Oh, I think I read I wrote like when I used to sing Actually, opera. I think you're right. When I used to sing opera, like Maria Callas is obviously like a fascinating Aristotle person. Onassis, isn't it? I think it? that might be it. Yeah, and he and was like a Greek, like she think magnet. he like left Maria Callas for Jackie Onassis. Like I think that was like Jackie Kennedy at the time, yes, right? Yeah. But that was very soon after JFK was, was shot, it? right? Was it? I think it yeah. was. But I just, yeah, Mar I mean Maria Callas just had a really fascinating life, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, right. 
Um, yeah, I find that all really fascinating. I've read so many books on like Bobby because I have a mad crush on oh, Bobby Kennedy. Yeah, see, I don't. There's that documentary on Netflix, but I've never watched it. Which one? There's one about him. Oh yeah, it's called Bobby. I think he's amazing. There is a film Bobby. Okay, like, like a dramatization. Yeah, and that's really good too. Okay. But. Anyway, I love Bobby. Bobby forever. Okay. Um, so anyway, Lee Radziwill went to see Grey Gardens. She attended a preview and left at intervals. <gasps> I know, interesting. But just like interesting because that was like the first act is the dramatization part and the yeah. second act is like this is this really this happened. Really happened. This shit happened. Yeah. Um so some other fun facts. I this is a mad side note, but I'm a big fan of Rufus Wainwright. Yes, I know. Who is very attached to the original documentary. I think I knew that. Yeah, so his family is actually sort of mentioned in the documentary. Oh. The Wainwrights are one of those like old New York families, well, like upstate New York his families. His dad's name is Loudon Wainwright the third. Correct. Right? He yeah. wrote the MASH theme. That's right. Yeah. And he's like a very cool. Yeah, cool dude. Yeah, also, Loudon's dad apparently was an artist. And so he's mentioned in the documentary as ah. like, oh, that Wainwright man is so lovely or whatever. So, um, so Rufus wrote a song called Grey Gardens. Right. Have a listen to it. I've linked to it. But full disclosure, he wrote it while on a lot of acid. So <laughs> it's a bit strange. Um, Something else interesting, one of the filmmakers of the original documentary, Albert Maisel's, made a documentary about the making of the musical. Uh -uh. Um, Yeah, so it's called From East Hampton to Grey Gardens and it's really good. Yeah, right. Um, You can find bits of it on YouTube. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't link to it because I think that's dodgy, but um, yeah, yeah, I'm sure you can find it. Yeah. Um, But yeah, he and his brother, so it's Albert and David Maisels, they made the original documentary. Okay. Um, David died, I think, in the late 80s, but um, Albert Maisels. What year did the doco come out? uh, 70. Oh, Oh, I didn't quite realise it was so old. Or maybe five, maybe okay, four. Yeah. yeah, like it was a game changer. Yeah. There was a lot of backlash because a lot of people thought it was really taking advantage of people at the very mm. lowest. Um, but, the, I mean, when you watch these women, these are hard women. Yeah. Like these are stoic, well, staunch yeah. women. Like, God, I love them. I want to be them but without <laughs> the cats. Well, Jasmine, <laughs> if you put your mind to it. <laughs> I know I could. Um so something else, I just love the way that this show uses the seasons to really frame the story. Mm, yeah. Um, and actually Ruf, Rufus Wainwright talks about it a lot, how like because he grew up in East Hampton and how it's such a summer town, a summer place. Yes, that, of course. That when the weather changes, like it's a completely different place and it's quite grim and bleak and mm. cold. Like, well, and like no one's there, right? No, that's because right. it's all tourists and Everyone summer. leaves, yeah. So the show actually really interestingly uses that. So um, the coming of winter is like this metaphor that's used and it's like a literal down season for the area but also apparently the area just like withers over winter yeah um just like gray gardens and the women really so i i just sort of love that i love any withering (laughs) in a musical (laughs) (laughs) um so the music the orchestrations are sublime yeah like just beautiful some really lovely voicings and nice moments in the first act it's all about the sort of jazz. Like it's set in the 40s, so it's really jazzy um, and the music really highlights that. But then this sort of like this general disharmony like takes over yes. as and the we, show progresses. And we all know that Josephine loves disharmony <laughs> and Ruth's not the biggest fan. <laughs> That's why you hated the second act. But yeah. like as the women's sort of lives degrade, so the music sort of comes apart a yes. little bit. Yeah. And that's clever. The show is orchestrated for keyboard, violin, cello, reeds, trumpet, flugelhorn, cor anglais, bass, drums, percussion and piano. Oh, yeah. So it's like a cool combo but yeah. a bit random. Um, it's such a powerful piece for the lead women. Yes. Particularly um, the like the Christine Ebersole the character. The big little lady. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right, both of them. Um, the songs are properly stunning. Some really lovely moments for little Edie in the first act. Mm. So you don't really, I mean, she gets to come back in the second act but just as another character. Yeah. But she sings some really bitchin' songs. Um, and like I've said, I just love that general creep of atonality that comes through yeah. as the show progresses. Side note, that original cast is perfection. Oh, like ridiculous. 
Christine Abbasol has such a beautiful voice. She is insane. She's also one of those um, sopranos that you can listen to. It's so clear. Yeah, but super like, clear. Okay, this sounds terrible, but for her age, she yeah. can really, she's still got it. She really does. I know what you're saying though. Like it hasn't like. No, um, and that like that's just that the women's actually, hormones and bodies. Am things. I right that they also wrote, that he also wrote War Paint, the same, the same composer? I'm pretty sure Scott Frankel. I'm sure you so, would know more than me. Um, I saw her and Patti LuPone in that on Broadway. Um, and she would have been just like now, flawless. I would think the show was not good, but they were incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's just got this tone that really cuts through in just a beautiful way. Yeah. Well, I think what they did really well in that original Broadway production is that her voice is so incredible that they – they found so Erin Davies played Little E oh, in the she? first okay. act, and her. I think she's just got the right voice to then. Yeah, like you believe that she becomes Christine Ebersole later because yes. it's yeah. so beautiful. It's that really like almost like Liz Calloway, like that exactly. really beautiful Clear, mix, but like has a gorgeous belt. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, obviously Mary Louise Wilson is also amazing. It's such a great show for women. The general consensus is that the show was robbed of best orchestrations and best original score. Yeah. Or, however, I do feel like Spring Awakening deserved best original score. Like what the it did so- for the sort songs of songs in Spring Awakening yeah. are fantastic. Yeah, like, like and it was so groundbreaking at the time. Yes, so I think, it really was. Yeah, and yes, so that's okay. I'm okay with it. And probably like the staging of Spring Awakening, which was part of why it was so groundbreaking, is, I mean, that's one of the things they take into account for Best Musical, definitely. And Grey Grey Gardens is just more traditional. Did Spring Awakening win Best Orchestrations? Yes. Okay, yeah, no, I I disagree with that. That's right, completely. So so my gateway songs, I think you should start with Daddy's Girl. It's sung by Little Edie in Act One and it's got just a tiny bit of the, you get the vibe of the, the heyday of, Act one, but then you also get that sort of atonal creep. Um, then you have to listen to Will You, which is the end of Act One. Fuck, it's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, it's a, it guts you. It's totally magnificent. And then I'm actually recommending basically the closing number of the show, okay. which is Another Winter in a Summer Town. Yeah. Um, it's sort of it ends in this sort of cyclical way. So the idea is that like these women's lives just keep keep yeah. on trotting along the way that they have been. So it's not like it gives anything away, but um. But, yeah, that's Grey Gardens. I think I need to both listen to the cast recording again. You do. And I haven't watched the doco in years. Oh, God, it's so good. Yeah, I haven't seen it in years. But it is it is a fantastic documentary. It's just so good. And, like, Little Edie is so wise mm. and she's an icon. But, yeah. You should dress up as her for something. I should. It's, a, it's an easy costume to do because it's it just is. basically like you put a scarf on your head and I don't like women in a skirt. Yeah. And then the I like accent. to put the stockings up over the shorts and then I like to wear a cape. The, the accent is so Yeah, oh, it's very amazing. Good. All yeah. I need is a Libra man. Shane li- says that all the time. Does he? Yeah. I literally said to Josephine, like, when I saw she was doing this, I was like, you are going to fall in love with this show, like, so much more than you already had, I reckon. I didn't I, think it was possible. Yeah, but I, just, I, like, I was are. like, I, this, is, this, is one of those, this is one of those musicals where if you're covering it on here, like, you're just going to end up being like, oh, my God, it's actually perfection. Like, it actually is perfection. Yeah. <laughs> like, just, oh, God. Yeah. This, anyway. Yeah. Great Gardens, everyone. Yeah, so real contrasting shows this week. Yes, quite. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, everyone, tune in next week for a mixtape. We'll be talking to you about some songs. Otherwise, come back in two weeks for another full episode. Yes, please do. And um, that's it. We've already told you to do all the things. Yeah. All right, bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye.